letter one part one of letters on demonology and witchcraft by sir walter scott this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. reading by dion gines salt lake city utah letter one you have asked of me my dear friend that i should assist the family library with the history of a dark chapter in human nature which the increasing civilization of all well-instructed countries has now almost blotted out though the subject attracted no ordinary degree of consideration in the older times of their history among much reading of my earlier days it is no doubt true that i travelled a good deal in the twilight regions of superstitious disquisitions many hours have i lost i would their debt were less in examining old as well as more recent narratives of this character and even in looking into some of the criminal trials so frequent in early days upon a subject which our fathers considered as a matter of the last importance and of late years the very curious extracts published by mr pitcairn from the criminal records of scotland are besides their historical value of a nature so much calculated to illustrate the credulity of our ancestors on such subjects that by perusing them i have been induced more recently to recall what i had read and thought upon the subject at a former period as however my information is only miscellaneous and i make no pretensions either to combat the systems of those by whom i am anticipated in consideration of the subject or to erect any new one of my own my purpose is after a general account of demonology and witchcraft to confine myself to narratives of remarkable cases and to the observations which naturally and easily arise out of them in the confidence that such a plan is at the present time of day more likely to suit the pages of a popular miscellany than an attempt to reduce the contents of so many hundred tomes from the largest to the smallest size into an abridgment which however compressed must remain greatly too large for the reader's powers of patience a few general remarks on the nature of demonology and the original cause of the almost universal belief in communication betwixt mortals and beings of a power superior to themselves and of a nature not to be comprehended by human organs are a necessary introduction to the subject the general or it may be termed the universal belief of the inhabitants of the earth 
in the existence of spirits separated from the encumbrance and incapacities of the body is grounded on the consciousness of the divinity that speaks in our bosoms and demonstrates to all men except the few who are hardened to the celestial voice that there is within us a portion of the divine substance which is not subject to the law of death and dissolution but which when the body is no longer fit for its abode shall seek its own place as a sentinel dismissed from his post unaided by revelation it cannot be hoped that mere earthly reason should be able to form any rational or precise conjecture concerning the destination of the soul when parted from the body but the conviction that such an indestructible essence exists the belief expressed by the poet in a different sense non omnis morior must infer the existence of many millions of spirits who have not been annihilated though they have been invisible to mortals who still see hear and perceive only by means of the imperfect organs of humanity probability may lead some of the most reflecting to anticipate a state of future rewards and punishments as those experienced in the education of the deaf and dumb find that their pupils even while cut off from all instruction by ordinary means have been able to form out of their own unassisted conjectures some ideas of the existence of a deity and of the distinction between the soul and body a circumstance which proves how naturally these truths arise in the human mind the principle that they do so arise being taught or communicated leads to further conclusions these spirits in a state of separate existence being admitted to exist are not it may be supposed indifferent to the affairs of mortality perhaps not incapable of influencing them it is true that in a more advanced state of society the philosopher may challenge the possibility of a separate appearance of a disembodied spirit unless in the case of a direct miracle to which being a suspension of the laws of nature directly wrought by the maker of these laws for some express purpose no bound or restraint can possibly be assigned but under this necessary limitation and exception philosophers might plausibly argue that when the soul is divorced from the body it loses all those qualities which made it when clothed with a mortal shape obvious to the organs of its fellow-men the abstract idea of a spirit certainly implies that it has neither substance form shape voice or anything which can render its presence visible or sensible to human faculties but these sceptic doubts of philosophers on the possibility of the appearance of such separated spirits do not arise till a certain degree of information has dawned upon a country and even then 
only reach a very small proportion of reflecting and better informed members of society to the multitude the indubitable fact that so many millions of spirits exist around and even amongst us seems sufficient to support the belief that they are in certain instances at least by some means or other able to communicate with the world of humanity the more numerous part of mankind cannot form in their mind the idea of the spirit of the deceased existing without possessing or having the power to assume the appearance which their acquaintance bore during his life and do not push their researches beyond this point enthusiastic feelings of an impressive and solemn nature occur both in private and public life which seem to add ocular testimony to an intercourse betwixt earth and the world beyond it for example the son who has been lately deprived of his father feels a sudden crisis approach in which he is anxious to have recourse to his sagacious advice or a bereaved husband earnestly desires again to behold the form of which the grave has deprived him for ever or to use a darker yet very common instance the wretched man who has dipped his hand in his fellow-creature's blood is haunted by the apprehension that the phantom of the slain stands by the bedside of his murderer in all or any of these cases who shall doubt that imagination favoured by circumstances has power to summon up to the organ of sight spectres which only exist in the mind of those by whom their apparition seems to be witnessed if we add that such a vision may take place in the course of one of those lively dreams in which the patient except in respect to the single subject of one strong impression is or seems sensible of the real particulars of the scene around him a state of slumber which often occurs if he is so far conscious for example as to know that he is lying on his own bed and surrounded by his own familiar furniture at the time when the supposed apparition is manifested it becomes almost in vain to argue with the visionary against the reality of his dream since the spectre though itself purely fanciful is inserted amidst so many circumstances which he feels must be true beyond the reach of doubt or question that which is undeniably certain becomes in a manner a warrant for the reality of the appearance to which doubt would have been otherwise attached and if any event such as the death of the person dreamt of chances to take place so as to correspond with the nature and the time of the apparition the coincidence though one which must be frequent since our dreams usually refer to the accomplishment of that which haunts our minds when awake and often presage the most probable events seems perfect and the chain of circumstances touching the evidence may not unreasonably be considered as complete such a concatenation 
we repeat must frequently take place when it is considered of what stuff dreams are made how naturally they turn upon those who occupy our mind while awake and when a soldier is exposed to death in battle when a sailor is incurring the dangers of the sea when a beloved wife or relative is attacked by disease how readily our sleeping imagination rushes to the very point of alarm which when waking it had shuddered to anticipate the number of instances in which such lively dreams have been quoted and both asserted and received as spiritual communications is very great at all periods in ignorant times where the natural cause of dreaming is misapprehended and confused with an idea of mysticism it is much greater yet perhaps considering the many thousands of dreams which must night after night pass through the imagination of individuals the number of coincidences between the vision and real event are fewer and less remarkable than a fair calculation of chances would warrant us to expect but in countries where such presaging dreams are subjects of attention the number of those which seem to be coupled with the corresponding issue is large enough to spread a very general belief of a positive communication betwixt the living and the dead somnambulism and other nocturnal deceptions frequently lend their aid to the formation of such phantasmata as are formed in this middle state betwixt sleeping and waking a most respectable person whose active life had been spent as master and part owner of a large merchant vessel in the lisbon trade gave the writer an account of such an instance which came under his observation he was lying in the tagus when he was put to great anxiety and alarm by the following incident and its consequences one of his crew was murdered by a portuguese assassin and a report arose that the ghost of the slain man haunted the vessel sailors are generally superstitious and those of my friend's vessel became unwilling to remain on board the ship and it was probable they might desert rather than return to england with the ghost for a passenger to prevent so great a calamity the captain determined to examine the story to the bottom he soon found that though all pretended to have seen lights and heard noises and so forth the weight of the evidence lay upon the statement of one of his own mates an irishman and a catholic which might increase his tendency to superstition but in other respects a veracious honest and sensible person whom captain had no reason to suspect would wilfully deceive him he affirmed to captain s with the deepest obtestations that the spectre of the murdered man appeared to him almost nightly took him from his place in the vessel and according to his own expression worried his life out
he made these communications with a degree of horror which intimated the reality of his distress and apprehensions the captain without any argument at the time privately resolved to watch the motions of the ghost-seer in the night whether alone or with a witness i have forgotten as the ship bell struck twelve the sleeper started up with a ghastly and disturbed countenance and lighting a candle proceeded to the galley or cook-room of the vessel he sat down with his eyes open staring before him as on some terrible object which he beheld with horror yet from which he could not withhold his eyes after a short space he arose took up a tin can or decanter filled it with water muttering to himself all the while mixed salt in the water and sprinkled it about the galley finally he sighed deeply like one relieved from a heavy burden and returning to his hammock slept soundly in the next morning the haunted man told the usual precise story of his apparition with the additional circumstances that the ghost had led him to the galley but that he had fortunately he knew not how obtained possession of some holy water and succeeded in getting rid of his unwelcome visitor the visionary was then informed of the real transactions of the night with so many particulars as to to satisfy him he had been the dupe of his imagination he acquiesced in his commander's reasoning and the dream as often happens in these cases returned no more after its imposture had been detected in this case we find the excited imagination acting upon the half-waking senses which were intelligent enough for the purpose of making him sensible where he was but not sufficiently so to judge truly of the objects before him but it is not only private life alone or that tenor of thought which has been depressed into melancholy by gloomy anticipations respecting the future which disposes the mind to midday fantasies or to nightly apparitions a state of eager anxiety or excited exertion is equally favourable to the indulgence of such supernatural communications the anticipation of a dubious battle with all the doubt and uncertainty of its event and the conviction that it must involve his own fate and that of his country was powerful enough to conjure up to the anxious eye of brutus the spectre of his murdered friend caesar respecting whose death he perhaps thought himself less justified than at the ides of march since instead of having achieved the freedom of rome the event had only been the renewal of civil wars and the issue might appear most likely to conclude in the total subjection of liberty it is not miraculous that the masculine spirit of marcus brutus surrounded by darkness and solitude distracted probably by recollection of the kindness and favour of the great individual whom he had put to death 
to avenge the wrongs of his country though by the slaughter of his own friend should at length place before his eyes in person the appearance which termed itself his evil genius and promised again to meet him at philippi brutus's own intentions and his knowledge of the military art had probably long since assured him that the decision of the civil war must take place at or near that place and allowing that his own imagination supplied that part of his dialogue with the spectre there is nothing else which might not be fashioned in a vivid dream or a waking reverie approaching in absorbing and engrossing character the usual matter of which dreams consist that brutus well acquainted with the opinions of the platonists should be disposed to receive without doubt the idea that he had seen a real apparition was not likely to scrutinize very minutely the supposed vision may be naturally conceived and it is also natural to think that although no one saw the figure but himself his contemporaries were little disposed to examine the testimony of a man so eminent by the strict rules of cross-examination and conflicting evidence which they might have thought applicable to another person and a less dignified occasion even in the field of death and amid the mortal tug of combat itself strong belief has wrought the same wonder which we have hitherto mentioned as occurring in solitude and amid darkness and those who were themselves on the verge of the world of spirits or employed in dispatching others to these gloomy regions conceived they beheld the apparitions of those beings whom their national mythology associated with such scenes in such moments of undecided battle amid the violence hurry and confusion of ideas incident to the situation the ancients supposed that they saw their deities castor and pollux fighting in the van for their encouragement the heathen scandinavian beheld the choosers of the slain and the catholics were no less easily led to recognize the warlike st george or st james in the very front of the strife showing them the way to conquest such apparitions being generally visible to a multitude have in all times been supported by the greatest strength of testimony when the common feeling of danger and the animating burst of enthusiasm act on the feelings of many men at once their minds hold a natural correspondence with each other as it is said is the case with stringed instruments tuned to the same pitch of which when one is played the chords of the others are supposed to vibrate in unison with the tones produced if an artful or enthusiastic individual exclaims in the heat of action that he perceives an apparition of the romantic kind which has been intimated his companions catch at the idea with emulation 
and most are willing to sacrifice the conviction of their own senses rather than allow that they did not witness the same favourable emblem from which all draw confidence and hope one warrior catches the idea from another all are alike eager to acknowledge the present miracle and the battle is won before the mistake is discovered in such cases the number of persons present which would otherwise lead to detection of the fallacy becomes the means of strengthening it of this disposition to see as much of the supernatural as is seen by others around or in other words to trust to the eyes of others rather than to our own we may take the liberty to quote two remarkable instances the first is from the historia verdadera of don bernal diaz del castillo one of the companions of the celebrated cortez in his mexican conquest after having given an account of a great victory over extreme odds he mentions the report inserted in the contemporary chronicle of gomara that saint iago had appeared on a white horse in van of the combat and led on his beloved spaniards to victory it is very curious to observe the castilian cavalier's internal conviction that the rumour arose out of a mistake the cause of which he explains from his own observation whilst at the same time he does not venture to disown the miracle the honest conquistador owns that he himself did not see this animating vision nay that he beheld an individual cavalier named francisco de morla mounted on a chestnut horse and fighting strenuously in the very place where st james is said to have appeared but instead of proceeding to draw the necessary inference the the devout conquistador exclaims sinner that i am what am i that i should have beheld the blessed apostle the other instance of the infectious character of superstition occurs in a scottish book and there can be little doubt that it refers in its first origin to some uncommon appearance of the aurora borealis or the northern lights which do not appear to have been seen in scotland so frequently as to be accounted a common and familiar atmospherical phenomenon until the beginning of the eighteenth century the passage is striking and curious for the narrator peter walker though an enthusiast was a man of credit and does not even affect to have seen the wonders the reality of which he unscrupulously adopts on the testimony of others to whose eyes he trusted rather than to his own the conversion of the sceptical gentleman of whom he speaks is highly illustrative of popular credulity 
carried away into enthusiasm or into imposture by the evidence of those around and at once shows the imperfection of such a general testimony and the ease with which it is procured since the general excitement of the moment impels even the more cold-blooded and judicious persons present to catch up the ideas and echo the exclamations of the majority who from the first had considered the heavenly phenomenon as a supernatural weapon-shaw held for the purpose of a sign and warning of civil wars to come in the year sixteen eighty six in the months of june and july says the honest chronicler many yet alive can witness that about the crossford boat two miles beneath lanark especially at the mains on the water of clyde many people gathered together for several afternoons where there were showers of bonnets hats guns and swords which covered the trees and the ground companies of men in arms marching in order upon the waterside companies meeting companies going all through other and then all falling to the ground and disappearing other companies immediately appeared marching the same way i went there three afternoons together and as i observed there were two-thirds of the people that were together saw and a third that saw not and though i could see nothing there was such a fright and trembling on those that did see that was discernible to all from those that saw not there was a gentleman standing next to me who spoke as too many gentlemen and others speak who said a pack of damned witches and warlocks that have the second sight the devil have it do i see and immediately there was a discernible change in his countenance with as much fear and trembling as any woman i saw there he called out all you that do not see say nothing for i persuade you it is matter of fact and discernible to all that is not stone blind and those who did see told what works that is locks the guns had and their length and wideness and what handles the swords had whether small or three-barred or highland guards and the closing knots of the bonnets black or blue and those who did see them there whenever they went abroad saw a bonnet and a sword drop in the way this singular phenomenon in which a multitude believed although only two-thirds of them saw what must if real have been equally obvious to all may be compared with the exploit of the humorist who planted himself in an attitude of astonishment with his eyes riveted on the well-known bronze lion that graces the front of northumberland house in the strand and having attracted the attention of those who looked at him by muttering by heaven it wags it wags again contrived in a few minutes to blockade the whole street with an immense crowd some conceiving that they had absolutely seen the lion of percy wag his tail others expecting to witness the same phenomenon 
on such occasions as we have hitherto mentioned we have supposed that the ghost seer has been in full possession of his ordinary powers of perception unless in the case of dreamers in whom they may have been obscured by temporary slumber and the possibility of correcting vagaries of the imagination rendered more difficult by want of the ordinary appeal to the evidence of the bodily senses in other respects their blood beat temperately they possessed the ordinary capacity of ascertaining the truth or discerning the falsehood of external appearances by an appeal to the organ of sight unfortunately however as is now universally known and admitted there certainly exists more than one disorder known to professional men of which one important symptom is a disposition to see apparitions this frightful disorder is not properly insanity although it is somewhat allied to that most horrible of maladies and may in many constitutions be the means of bringing it on and although such hallucinations are proper to both the difference i conceive to be that in cases of insanity the mind of the patient is principally affected while the senses or organic system offer in vain to the lunatic their decided testimony against the fantasy of a deranged imagination perhaps the nature of this collision between a disturbed imagination and organs of sense possessed of their usual accuracy cannot be better described than in the embarrassment expressed by an insane patient confined in the infirmary of edinburgh the poor man's malady had taken a gay turn the house in his idea was his own and he contrived to account for all that seemed inconsistent with his imaginary right of property there were many patients in it but that was owing to the benevolence of his nature which made him love to see the relief of distress he went little or rather never abroad but then his habits were of a domestic and rather sedentary character he did not see much company but he daily received visits from the first characters in the renowned medical school of this city and he could not therefore be much in want of society with so many supposed comforts around him with so many visions of wealth and splendor one thing alone disturbed the peace of the poor optimist and would indeed have confounded most bon vivants he was curious he said in his table choice in his selection of cooks had every day a dinner of three regular courses and a dessert and yet somehow or other everything he eat tasted of porridge this dilemma could be no great wonder to the friend to whom the poor patient communicated it who knew the lunatic ate nothing but this simple aliment at any of his meals the case was obvious the disease lay in the extreme vivacity of the patient's imagination diluted in other instances yet not absolutely powerful enough to contend with the honest evidence of his stomach and palate 
which like lord peter's brethren in the tale of a tub were indignant at the attempt to impose boiled oatmeal upon them instead of such a banquet as eude would have displayed when peers were to partake of it here therefore is one instance of actual insanity in which the sense of taste controlled and attempted to restrain the ideal hypothesis adopted by a deranged imagination but the order to which i previously alluded is entirely of a bodily character and consists principally in a disease of the visual organs which present to the patient a set of spectres or appearances which have no actual existence it is a disease of the same nature which renders many men incapable of distinguishing colours only the patients go a step further and pervert the external form of objects in their case therefore contrary to that of the maniac it is not the mind or rather the imagination which imposes upon and overpowers the evidence of the senses but the sense of seeing or hearing which betrays its duty and conveys false ideas to a sane intellect more than one learned physician who have given their attestations to the existence of this most distressing complaint have agreed that it actually occurs and is occasioned by different causes the most frequent source of the malady is in the dissipated and intemperate habits of those who by a continued series of intoxication become subject to what is popularly called the blue devils instances of which mental disorder may be known to most who have lived for any period of their lives in society where hard drinking was a common vice the joyous visions suggested by intoxication when the habit is first acquired in time disappear and are supplied by frightful impressions and scenes which destroy the tranquillity of the unhappy debauchee apparitions of the most unpleasant appearance are his companions in solitude and intrude even upon his hours of society and when by an alteration of habits the mind is cleared of these frightful ideas it requires but the slightest renewal of the association to bring back the full tide of misery upon the repentant libertine of this the following instance was told to the author by a gentleman connected with the sufferer a young man of fortune who had led what is called so gay a life as considerably to injure both his health and fortune was at length obliged to consult the physician upon the means of restoring at least the former one of his principal complaints was the frequent presence of a set of apparitions resembling a band of figures dressed in green who performed in his drawing-room a singular dance to which he was compelled to bear witness though he knew to his great annoyance that the whole corps de ballet existed only in his own imagination
his physician immediately informed him that he had lived upon town too long and too fast not to require an exchange to a more healthy and natural course of life he therefore prescribed a gentle course of medicine but earnestly recommended to his patient to retire to his own house in the country observe a temperate diet and early hours practising regular exercise on the same principle avoiding fatigue and assuring him that by doing so he might bid adieu to black spirits and white blue green and grey with all their trumpery the patient observed the advice and prospered his physician after the interval of a month received a grateful letter from him acknowledging the success of his regime the green goblins had disappeared and with them the unpleasant train of emotions to which their visits had given rise and the patient had ordered his town-house to be disfurnished and sold while the furniture was to be sent down to his residence in the country where he was determined in future to spend his life without exposing himself to the temptations of town one would have supposed this a well-devised scheme for health but alas no sooner had the furniture of the london drawing-room been placed in order in the gallery of the old manor-house than the former delusion returned in full force the green figurantes whom the patient's depraved imagination had so long associated with these movables came capering and frisking to accompany them exclaiming with great glee as if the sufferer should have been rejoiced to see them here we all are here we all are the visionary if i recollect right was so much shocked at their appearance that he retired abroad in despair that any part of britain could shelter him from the daily persecution of this domestic ballet there is reason to believe that such cases are numerous and that they may perhaps arise not only from the debility of stomach brought on by excess in wine or spirits which derangement often sensibly affects the eyes and sense of sight but also because the mind becomes habitually predominated over by a train of fantastic visions the consequence of frequent intoxication and is thus like a dislocated joint apt again to go wrong even when a different cause occasions the derangement it is easy to be supposed that habitual excitement by means of any other intoxicating drug as opium or its various substitutes must expose those who practise the dangerous custom to the same inconvenience very frequent use of the nitrous oxide which affects the senses so strongly and produces a short but singular state of ecstasy would probably be found to occasion this species of disorder but there are many other causes which medical men find attended with the same symptom of embodying before the eyes of a patient imaginary illusions which are visible to no one else this persecution of spectral deceptions is also found to exist 
when no excesses of the patient can be alleged as the cause owing doubtless to a deranged state of the blood or nervous system the learned and acute dr ferrier of manchester was the first who brought before the english public the leading case as it may be called in this department namely that of monsieur nicolai the celebrated bookseller of berlin this gentleman was not a man merely of books but of letters and had the moral courage to lay before the philosophical society of berlin an account of his own sufferings from having been by disease subjected to a series of spectral illusions the leading circumstances of this case may be stated very shortly as it has been repeatedly before the public and is insisted upon by dr ferrier dr hibbert and others who have assumed demonology as a subject nicolai traces his illness remotely to a series of disagreeable incidents which had happened to him in the beginning of the year seventeen ninety one the depression of spirits which was occasioned by these unpleasant occurrences was aided by the consequences of neglecting a course of periodical bleeding which he had been accustomed to observe this state of health brought on the disposition to see phantasmata who visited or it may be more properly said frequented the apartments of the learned bookseller presenting crowds of persons who moved and acted before him nay even spoke to and addressed him these phantoms afforded nothing unpleasant to the imagination of the visionary either in sight or expression and the patient was possessed of too much firmness to be otherwise affected by their presence than with a species of curiosity as he remained convinced from the beginning to the end of the disorder that these singular effects were merely symptoms of the state of his health and did not in any other respect regard them as a subject of apprehension after a certain time and some use of medicine the phantoms became less distinct in their outline less vivid in their colouring faded as it were on the eye of the patient and at length totally disappeared the case of nicolai has unquestionably been that of many whose love of science has not been able to overcome their natural reluctance to communicate to the public the particulars attending the visitation of a disease so peculiar that such illnesses have been experienced and have ended fatally there can be no doubt though it is by no means to be inferred that the symptom of importance to our present discussion has on all occasions been produced from the same identical cause dr hibbert who has most ingeniously as well as philosophically handled this subject has treated it also in a medical point of view with science to which we make no pretence and a precision of detail 
to which our superficial investigation affords us no room for extending ourselves the visitation of spectral phenomena is described by this learned gentleman as incidental to sundry complaints and he mentions in particular that the symptom occurs not only in plethora as in the case of the learned prussian we have just mentioned but is a frequent hectic symptom often an associate of febrile and inflammatory disorders frequently accompanying inflammation of the brain a concomitant also of highly excited nervous irritability equally connected with hypochondria and finally united in some cases with gout and in others with the effects of excitation produced by several gases in all these cases there seems to be a morbid degree of sensibility with which this symptom is ready to ally itself and which though inaccurate as a medical definition may be held sufficiently descriptive of one character of the various kinds of disorder with which this painful symptom may be found allied a very singular and interesting illustration of such combinations as dr hibbert has recorded of this spectral illusion with an actual disorder and that of a dangerous kind was frequently related in society by the late learned and accomplished dr gregory of edinburgh and sometimes i believe quoted by him in his lectures the narrative to the author's best recollection was as follows a patient of dr gregory a person it is understood of some rank having requested the doctor's advice made the following extraordinary statement of his complaint i am in the habit he said of dining at five and exactly as the hour of six arrives i am subjected to the following painful visitation the door of the room even when i have been weak enough to bolt it which i have sometimes done flies wide open an old hag like one of those who haunted the heath of Forres, enters with a frowning and incensed countenance comes straight up to me with every demonstration of spite and indignation which could characterize her who haunted the merchant abduda in the oriental tale she rushes upon me says something but so hastily that i cannot discover the purport and then strikes me a severe blow with her staff i fall from my chair in a swoon which is of longer or shorter endurance to the recurrence of this apparition i am daily subjected and such is my new and singular complaint the doctor immediately asked whether his patient had invited any one to sit with him when he expected such a visitation he was answered in the negative the nature of the complaint he said was so singular it was so likely to be imputed to fancy or even to mental derangement that he had shrunk from communicating the circumstance to any one then said the doctor with your permission i will dine with you to-day tete-a-tete and we will see if your malignant old woman will venture to join our company 
the patient accepted the proposal with hope and gratitude for he had expected ridicule rather than sympathy they met at dinner and dr gregory who suspected some nervous disorder exerted his powers of conversation well known to be of the most varied and brilliant character to keep the attention of his host engaged and prevent him from thinking on the approach of the fated hour to which he was accustomed to look forward with so much terror he succeeded in his purpose better than he had hoped the hour of six came almost unnoticed and it was hoped might pass away without any evil consequence but it was scarce a moment struck when the owner of the house exclaimed in an alarmed voice the hag comes again and dropped back in his chair in a swoon in the way he had himself described the physician caused him to be let blood and satisfied himself that the periodical shocks of which his patient complained arose from a tendency to apoplexy the phantom with the crutch was only a species of machinery such as that with which fancy is found to supply the disorder called ephialtus or nightmare or indeed any other external impression upon our organs in sleep which the patient's morbid imagination may introduce into the dream preceding the swoon in the nightmare an oppression and suffocation is felt and our fancy instantly conjures up a spectre to lie on our bosom in like manner it may be remarked that any sudden noise which the slumberer hears without being actually awakened by it any casual touch of his person occurring in the same manner becomes instantly adopted in his dream and accommodated to the tenor of the current train of thought whatever that may happen to be and nothing is more remarkable than the rapidity with which imagination supplies a complete explanation of the interruption according to the previous train of ideas expressed in the dream even when scarce a moment of time is allowed for that purpose in dreaming for example of a duel the external sound becomes in the twinkling of an eye the discharge of the combatant's pistols is an orator haranguing in his sleep the sound becomes the applause of his supposed audience is the dreamer wandering among supposed ruins the noise is that of the fall of some part of the mass in short an explanatory system is adopted during sleep with such extreme rapidity that supposing the intruding alarm to have been the first call of some person to awaken the slumberer the explanation though requiring some process of argument or deduction is usually formed and perfect before the second effort of the speaker has restored the dreamer to the waking world and its realities so rapid and intuitive is the succession of ideas in sleep as to remind us of the vision of the prophet mohammed in which he saw the whole wonders of heaven and hell though the jar of water which fell 
when his ecstasy commenced had not spilled its contents when he returned to ordinary existence a second and equally remarkable instance was communicated to the author by the medical man under whose observation it fell but who was of course desirous to keep private the name of the hero of so singular a history of the friend by whom the facts were attested i can only say that if i found myself at liberty to name him the rank which he holds in his profession as well as his attainments in science and philosophy form an indisputed claim to the most implicit credit it was the fortune of this gentleman to be called in to attend the illness of a person now long deceased who in his lifetime stood as i understand high in a particular department of the law which often placed the property of others at his discretion and control and whose conduct therefore being open to public observation he had for many years borne the character of a man of unusual steadiness good sense and integrity he was at the time of my friend's visits confined principally to his sick-room sometimes to bed yet occasionally attending to business and exerting his mind apparently with all its usual strength and energy to the conduct of important affairs entrusted to him nor did there to a superficial observer appear anything in his conduct while so engaged that could argue vacillation of intellect or depression of mind his outward symptoms of malady argued no acute or alarming disease but slowness of pulse absence of appetite difficulty of digestion and constant depression of spirits seemed to draw their origin from some hidden cause which the patient was determined to conceal the deep gloom of the unfortunate gentleman the embarrassment which he could not conceal from his friendly physician the briefness and obvious constraint with which he answered the interrogations of his medical adviser induced my friend to take other methods for prosecuting his inquiries he applied to the sufferer's family to learn if possible the source of that secret grief which was gnawing the heart and sucking the life-blood of his unfortunate patient the persons applied to after conversing together previously denied all knowledge of any cause for the burden which obviously affected their relative so far as they knew and they thought they could hardly be deceived his worldly affairs were prosperous no family loss had occurred which could be followed with such persevering distress no entanglements of affection could be supposed to apply to his age and no sensation of severe remorse could be consistent with his character the medical gentleman had finally recourse to serious argument with the invalid himself and urged to him the folly of devoting himself to a lingering and melancholy death rather than tell the subject of affliction which was thus wasting him 
he specially pressed upon him the injury which he was doing to his own character by suffering it to be inferred that the secret cause of his dejection and its consequences was something too scandalous or flagitious to be made known bequeathing in his manner to his family a suspected and dishonoured name and leaving a memory with which might be associated the idea of guilt which the criminal had died without confessing the patient more moved by this species of appeal than by any which had yet been urged expressed his desire to speak out frankly to dr every one else was removed and the door of the sick-room made secure when he began his confession in the following manner you cannot my dear friend be more conscious than i than i am in the course of dying under the oppression of the fatal disease which consumes my vital powers but neither can you understand the nature of my complaint and manner in which it acts upon me nor if you did i fear could your zeal and skill avail to rid me of it it is possible said the physician that my skill may not equal my wish of serving you yet medical science has many resources of which those unacquainted with its powers never can form an estimate but until you plainly tell me your symptoms of complaint it is impossible for either of us to say what may or may not be in my power or within that of medicine i may answer you replied the patient that my case is not a singular one since we read of it in the famous novel of le sage you remember doubtless the disease of which the duc de Olivares is there stated to have died of the idea answered the medical gentleman that he was haunted by an apparition to the actual existence of which he gave no credit but died nevertheless because he was overcome and heart-broken by its imaginary presence i my dearest doctor said the sick man am in that very case and so painful and abhorrent is the presence of the persecuting vision that my reason is totally inadequate to combat the effects of my morbid imagination and i am sensible i am dying a wasted victim to an imaginary disease the medical gentleman listened with anxiety to his patient's statement and for the present judiciously avoiding any contradiction of the sick man's preconceived fancy contented himself with more minute inquiry into the nature of the apparition with which he conceived himself haunted and into the history of the mode by which so singular a disease had made itself master of his imagination secured as it seemed by strong powers of the understanding against an attack so irregular the sick person replied by stating that its advances were gradual and at first not of a terrible or even disagreeable character to illustrate this he gave the following account of the progress of his disease my visions he said commenced two or three years since 
when i found myself from time to time embarrassed by the presence of a large cat which came and disappeared i could not exactly tell how till the truth was finally forced upon me and i was compelled to regard it as no domestic household cat but as a bubble of the elements which had no existence save in my deranged visual organs or depraved imagination still i had not that positive objection to the animal entertained by a late gallant highland chieftain who has been seen to change to all the colours of his own plaid if a cat by accident happened to be in the room with him even though he did not see it on the contrary i am rather a friend to cats and endured with so much equanimity the presence of my imaginary attendant that it had become almost indifferent to me when within the course of a few months it gave place to or was succeeded by a spectre of a more important sort or which at least had a more imposing appearance this was no other than the apparition of a gentleman usher dressed as if to wait upon a lord lieutenant of ireland a lord high commissioner of the kirk or any other who bears on his brow the rank and stamp of delegated sovereignty this personage arrayed in a court dress with bag and sword tambured waistcoat and chapeau bras glided beside me like the ghost of beau nash and whether in my own house or in another ascended the stairs before me as if to announce me in the drawing-room and at some times appeared to mingle with the company though it was sufficiently evident that they were not aware of his presence and that i alone was sensible of the visionary honours which this imaginary being seemed desirous to render me this freak of the fancy did not produce much impression on me though it led me to entertain doubts on the nature of my disorder and alarm for the effect it might produce on my intellects but that modification of my disease also had its appointed duration after a few months the phantom of the gentleman usher was seen no more but was succeeded by one horrible to the sight and distressing to the imagination being no other than the image of death itself the apparition of a skeleton alone or in company said the unfortunate invalid the presence of this last phantom never quits me i in vain tell myself a hundred times over that it is no reality but merely an image summoned up by the morbid acuteness of my own excited imagination and deranged organs of sight but what avail such reflections while the emblem at once and presage of mortality is before my eyes and while i feel myself though in fancy only the companion of a phantom representing a ghastly inhabitant of the grave even while i yet breathe on the earth science philosophy even religion has no cure for such a disorder and i feel too surely that i shall die the victim to so melancholy a disease although i have no belief whatever in the reality of the phantom which it places before me
the physician was distressed to perceive from these details how strongly this visionary apparition was fixed in the imagination of his patient he ingenuously urged the sick man who was then in bed with questions concerning the circumstances of the phantom's appearance trusting he might lead him as a sensible man into such contradictions and inconsistencies as might bring his common sense which seemed to be unimpaired so strongly into the field as might combat successfully the fantastic disorder which produced such fatal effects this skeleton then said the doctor seems to you to be always present to your eyes it is my fate unhappily answered the invalid always to see it then i understand continued the physician it is now present to your imagination to my imagination it certainly is so replied the sick man and in what part of the chamber do you now conceive the apparition to appear the physician inquired immediately at the foot of my bed when the curtains are left a little open answered the invalid the skeleton to my thinking is placed between them and fills the vacant space you say you are sensible of the delusion said his friend have you firmness to convince yourself of the truth of this can you take courage enough to rise and place yourself in the spot so seeming to be occupied and convince yourself of the illusion the poor man sighed and shook his head negatively well said the doctor we will try the experiment otherwise accordingly he rose from his chair by the bedside and placing himself between the two half-drawn curtains at the foot of the bed indicated as the place occupied by the apparition asked if the spectre were still visible not entirely so replied the patient because your person is betwixt him and me but i observe his skull peering above your shoulder it is alleged the man of science started on the instant despite philosophy on receiving an answer ascertaining with such minuteness that the ideal spectre was close to his own person he resorted to other means of investigation and cure but with equally indifferent success the patient sunk into deeper and deeper dejection and died in the same distress of mind in which he had spent the latter months of his life and his case remains a melancholy instance of the power of imagination to kill the body even when its fantastic terrors cannot overcome the intellect of the unfortunate persons who suffer under them the patient in the present case sunk under his malady and the circumstances of his singular disorder remaining concealed he did not by his death and last illness lose any of his well-merited reputation for prudence and sagacity which had attended him during the whole course of his life End of letter one. Part one.